The power of storytelling has been carried down for generations. However, the art has unfortunately been lost among men. Today's guest and author discusses how he started writing stories to stay connected with his son while he was deployed on military duty. We then talk about the importance of good stories to raise our boys into good young men, his conversion to the Catholic faith, and what life looks like as a father, author, and JAG lawyer. Stay with us. Welcome, gentlemen, to another edition of the Catholic Gentleman Podcast, and we're happy to have you with us as we are interviewing a guest who uh, many of you might have heard of, uh, or more importantly, more heard of, or uh, heard of uh, the works that he's produced. That's the Prince Martin Epic series, and I don't know about you, but my kids absolutely love these books. I've been reading them to them for years, and uh, they just keep coming, which is really delightful. So we are joined today uh, by the author of the series, uh, Brandon Hale. Uh, to just introduce Brandon a little bit for those of you who may not be familiar with him. Uh, he is the author of the Prince Martin Epic, a rhyming action adventure book series for boys. He's an adult convert to Catholicism mm -hmm. uh, who first considered the faith when he read the biography of J.R.R. Tolkien in 2002. And Brandon holds the rank of commander in the U.S. Navy, serving as an attorney in the Judge Advocate General's Corps. And he has 20 years combined active and reserve service. And for a civilian day job, he has worked in federal law enforcement for the past 15 years. Uh, he lives in the Oklahoma City area with his wife, Stephanie, and they have five children ranging in age from 6 to 18. Uh, the idea of the Prince Martin epic came to Brandon when he told his young son, Prince Martin stories on the phone when he was deployed overseas. For fun, Brandon enjoys reading and writing fiction, lifting weights, shooting, hunting, fishing, and four-wheeling on his family's 160-acre Lazy H Ranch in northeastern Oklahoma. Uh, and so thank you so much for being with us, Brandon. Uh, we're, we're so glad to have you. Hey, guys, I appreciate it. Good to join you. Thank you. Wonderful. Yeah. And I, I love how, uh, you know, these stories that really have reached, I don't know how many, maybe you could share a little bit, but like thousands of Catholic young people at this point, uh, my kids included, they just came, came out of your own storytelling to your kids. And uh, my kids love having me tell them stories, even though I don't consider myself very good at it. But when did you kind of uh, tell us how you got started telling those stories to your son? And then when did you kind of decide to take the leap into maybe writing it down into a book? Yeah. So I was in 2015, I was deployed overseas. I was a reservist at that time, uh, formerly active duty. I'm still in the reserves, but I was deployed overseas for six months. And I had a four-year-old boy at home named Thomas. And when I could call home during the deployment, uh, I'd, I'd talk to my wife, I'd talk to my daughters, but when I talked to Thomas, after a few weeks, he just kind of got tired of talking to me. I was a four-year-old kid talking on the phone, didn't have a lot of patience for it, and I felt kind of like we were losing our bond because he'd always been my sidekick and did everything with me. And then I get sent off for six months, and so I started racking my brain, how can I connect with the little guy while I'm gone? And so when I'd talk to him, I'd start telling him a Prince Martin story, and I'd just make one up on the spot. 
unlike the books, my stories didn't rhyme. I, I couldn't make up rhymes on the spot, but I just, I'd tell him a story and uh, he loved it. And the next time I'd call home, he'd beg to talk to me and I'd tell him a story and I'd call home again and he'd beg to talk to me. So it worked out. And then when I got home, he still wanted to hear those stories. My wife suggested to me, well, why don't you try writing one, turn it into a book. And so I thought about it and I thought, okay, that'd be fun. And I started to write in prose and it just seemed a little bit boring. And I reflected on all the books I've read to my kids over the years and how the ones I didn't mind reading for the 10th, 50th, 100th time in a row to a kid were the ones that rhymed and would just kind of roll off my tongue. And, you know, Dr. Seuss book, for example, Horton Hatches an Egg or uh, The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. You know, I could read that book a thousand times and it's still kind of fun to read because it flows. And so I resolved to try to put the books in rhyme. And unfortunately, I don't have any natural rhythm. And it was my wife who pointed out to me that I wasn't understanding what using this tetramanic, this, uh, this rhyme scheme that I use, um, I wasn't putting the emphasis on the right syllables. And so I started studying how it was done in other poems and uh, tried to fix it and eventually got to where I could do it fairly successfully. So that's, that's the short story of how those books came about. Wow. I think that's really exciting. And what a blessing uh, to your son and to all of us that you, <clears throat> in a way, manned up uh, to to stay connected with his with your son. I think that's just incredibly powerful. And I, I just appreciate you do that. I appreciate your service. Um, it, it, that's a fun and impressive story. Um, so you didn't have previous experience I'm hearing on, uh, on writing, you just had to learn it. Did you find that it came by naturally for you? Or, I mean, forgive me, when you finally got into the groove, did you feel like yeah. this was something you were meant to be doing? Has there ever been that aspect? Cause I know you've come out with a lot of series and, uh, and you know, you're probably continually sharpening your skills and honing them. So I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, well, as a lawyer, I'm used to writing a lot. And okay. so writing comes naturally. Expressing myself in the written word has always been natural for me. And after writing these Prince Martin books and spending hundreds, thousands of hours in this anapestic tetrameter verse style, I can almost think in that rhyme scheme now, which is a little bit odd. <laughs> I'll be driving down the street and a, a line for a book will come to me. And so the development of that has been fairly natural. I'll tell you what I do is when I write in the morning, I'll get up really early in the morning, like zero four thirty in the morning and write for an hour. And it's kind of like compound interest. If you write for an hour every day, it starts to add up pretty quickly and, and you can crank out some books that way. But what I'll do is I'll write for an hour and then I'll go lift weights or I'll go on a run and I'll swipe my fingers down on my iPhone and have the robot voice on my phone read back to me what I've written. And if the robot voice sounds pretty good, then I know I've got the emphasis on the syllables right, and I know I've got the rhyme scheme right. And uh, I can catch a lot of my own mistakes by listening to the robot voice while I'm exercising. So I get about two hours in every day uh, doing it that way. Wow, that's fantastic. There's a lot of discipline involved of like pushing yourself to just get up every day, just do it, um, you know, the, the the challenge for writing is always that creativity doesn't always strike when you want it to. Um, and so just that discipline, that grind of just getting up and just writing, writing, writing. So how did you find the illustrator? Um, and 
But you guys have more books in the works. Yeah, the, the finding of the illustrator is a fun story. Uh, it doesn't exist anymore, but there used to be a G.K. Chesterton Society here in Oklahoma City, and we would uh, meet and we would discuss and read the books of Chesterton at an Irish pub here in Oklahoma City. And then afterwards, we would uh, just hang out and talk. And it was just a group of guys, probably about 10 to 15, sometimes 20 Catholic guys. And I was talking to a small group of them after one of our meetings about this book I was trying to write and how I would tried my own hand at illustrating the book and how my illustrations were terrible. And a friend of mine said, well, I might be able to do it. And he's a graphic designer by trade and, and by education. And Jason Zimdars is his name. And he uh, took a stab at drawing Prince Martin and what he thought he would look like and some of the er other characters in the story. And I loved his work and we've been working together ever since. We actually go to the same parish together and uh, we're friends you know, outside of the series. He's a good friend of mine. And he's really talented at drawing and I'm moderately talented at writing and putting the two together. I feel like we've come up with a, a fun series of books for, for boys. Oh, that's exciting. Let's actually talk about those series of books for boys. Cause there was, I mean, other than the great story of why you got into them, there's like a direct intent behind those books. And I think that's really important for all of us to hear because we live in society right now where we all love the hero's journey, right? We were, <clears throat> it's just kind of a part of the archetypal nature of men to go on adventures and to see other people do the same thing. But what we have to look at today is like the Marvel um, superheroes, right? And the Marvel superheroes, I mean, Hollywood is, is, yeah, let's say uninspired uh, or inspiring at, at creating superheroes that not only maintain their virtues, but also fight against vice. Very often we see individuals like Tony Stark or Batman or these people who have both, you know, great virtue and great vice. And they, they kind of uphold the two as if they have to work together, but that's not really great storytelling. And so um, you having a history with Tolkien and Chesterton, as you just mentioned, you kind of understood those things. Um, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the intent behind your book and what you're hoping to uh, pass along to uh, the young men in in our lives and, you know, in the Catholic sure. faith. Well, I think that boys want to be challenged, and I feel like society as a whole doesn't challenge boys as much as they're capable of being challenged, you know, whether it's being challenged morally or physically. And reading the books that were available to boys, I was underwhelmed insofar as I felt like they were, if not scatological, kind of gross out type books or books that were just silly and absurd and didn't challenge a boy in any way, didn't challenge his vocabulary, didn't, didn't challenge him to aspire to the acquisition of virtue, didn't challenge him physically, overcoming a difficult situation physically by you know, mustering up one's grit to get through something difficult where you, where you feel like you want to quit, but you know the right thing to do is to push ahead. And so I wanted to create books that challenge boys in that way to make them develop those virtues, those acquired habits uh, that become virtues to, to become good men someday. And I just wanted to try to, in my own very limited way, baptize the imaginations of boys when they're young and, and maybe when they get into difficult situations as teenagers, you know, wanting to quit the wrestling team or, or whatever, they'll, they'll remember books they read as a boy and be like, nope, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to push ahead. Or, you know, in the Christian life, all the difficulties we face, we face and how easy it is to turn aside or go astray 
and to draw back on something even rattling around in a boy's subconscious that he read as a kid. That's my modest hope of, of, of how I can contribute. So just kind of uh, one of the things I appreciate about the Prince Martin series, um, and I hope this isn't received the wrong way, but is is that the Catholicism is kind of in the background. Like you're not leaning, like Prince Martin isn't going to church and like receiving the sacraments and things like that. And and the reason I think that's important is, is you know, this implicit Catholicism, this like it's the virtues, the values, the truths of our faith, like obviously influence the whole journey of like chivalry that Prince Martin is on and like becoming, going from a boy to a man and like growing in that way. And yet you see with like Tolkien and things like that, that, that his faith was also informing everything he wrote about. And yet it was kind of in this, in the background. And yet there's, there's, there's kind of a power in that. Um, and so I'm just wondering, like, has the uh, audience for this expanded beyond, you know, Catholics? Uh, have you heard from other people who maybe aren't Catholic, but who like deeply love this, these books and like have gained something from them and kind of absorbed some of those Catholic values uh, unknowingly, if you will? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've gotten lots of emails and letters from boys who I can tell come from evangelical families. And I, I welcome that absolutely. And not to compare myself with Tolkien, but you know, looking at how the master did it, his Catholic faith was implicit in everything he wrote, and maybe not even always conscious. I think he once said that it was implicit and unconscious in the original writing and, and more conscious in the revision of his stories. And his books take place in a pre-Christian world. You know, I, I like to think of the Prince Martin story occurring in a, in a world 50,000 years ago that may be covered over with water right now. So it is certainly not explicitly Catholic or even explicitly Christian, but my Catholic Christian worldview world is absolutely implicit in what I've written. And I, I try to be subtle and I have no agenda with the stories as far as advancing any aspect of faith other than advancing a Christian worldview. And I, I want it to be implicit, and I don't want it to be considered to be an allegory or anything like that. But um, I, I do think that people with eyes to see and ears to hear will certainly pick up on and recognize symbolism that would certainly be uh, considered Catholic if you knew what to look for. And, and Christian, just the, the sacrificial uh, life of Christ, I think, is reflected in every book. You know, the, the manful picking up the cross and carrying it. Uh, I think there's that theme in every book, a theme of sacrifice and you know, manfully carrying your cross. I think that is in in all of my stories so far. Excellent. And so tell me a little bit about your conversion story. So you were at Baylor and not Catholic, and then you decided that Catholicism was the way for you. What is that? What did that look like? Yeah, it was, it was really just a, a grace. I think for me, um, I, I grew up in a, Christian home, went to a Methodist church. I had wonderful parents who instilled the faith in me, and we prayed as a family. We read Bible stories as a family, and I went to church every Sunday and youth group every Wednesday night, and then my parents very graciously sent me to Baylor, which is a fine Baptist school, and I had a, a good experience there. And, and frankly, in, in growing up and going to public schools, I don't think I ever knew any Catholics and I certainly never thought about Catholicism, which is probably inadequacy in my own education and history and uh, mainly in world history. But I don't think I ever consciously thought about Catholicism uh, throughout 
growing up in high school and college, I, I think I knew Catholics were Christian, but sort of Christian. I, I thought it was like a an odd variation of Christianity that that had no effect on me, at least. And it wasn't until I was in law school and I started uh, taking my own faith more seriously that I was reading a lot of C.S. Lewis and I was reading other Christian authors like C.S. Lewis and the Lord of the Rings movies had just begun coming out. The trilogy had just begun showing. I think the first movie came out and it rekindled my own love of Tolkien, which began when I was in middle school and all through high school and read the series several times in The Hobbit and um, loved the stories, like absolutely loved them. And watching that movie made me reread the series. And then I thought, oh, I want to read a book about Tolkien. I want to learn about Tolkien himself. And I was at a time in my life when I was in law school and I was already doing lots of reading, lots of writing. And so I was very into studying something hard and considering it carefully. Had no kids. And so I had uh, an unusual period of my life where I had time to study Catholicism. And so it was in that um, context that I read this biography of Tolkien by Joseph Pierce, who's a wonderful writer. And mm -hmm. I was shocked to discover that Tolkien was Catholic. And then I was further shocked to see how his Catholicism had so informed the books he'd read, he'd written. And then I started realizing, oh, okay, well, I, I certainly has never picked up on that before, but that's, that's really interesting. You know, the limbus bread, how that is a, almost a, a symbol of the Eucharist never occurred to me. I didn't heard of the Eucharist, didn't know what it was. Um, and so reading about Tolkien, who I thought was a very saintly person, I thought, well, if Tolkien was a Catholic, well, maybe there's something to Catholicism. And so then I started reading a lot of the books that, that many converts have read, Peter Kreeft, Scott Hahn, Patrick Madrid, um, Thomas Howard. And I started reading book after book after book. I was a, in my second year of law school. And then I told my wife, hey, there's actually something to this. And I would pass on the books that I read to my wife. And, and she was skeptical, to say the least, at first. But then she started reading the books. And she was just as convinced as I was. And so uh, we were received into the church. It'll be 20 years, uh, this Feast of the Assumption in August. And we were received into the church in August because I was shipping off for Navy duty the next month to begin my wow. Navy career. And um, yeah, but for J.R.R. Tolkien and but for me coming across The Hobbit uh, as a middle schooler in Tulsa, um, you know, way back in the 90s, I don't think I would be the Catholic that I, that I am today. Which, wow, has been, for, which has been the greatest grace that has ever happened to, happened to me. Ah, what a journey. That That's that's exciting. And so um, you decided, so you were in law school, so you decided you wanted to become a lawyer. When did you decide that you wanted to enter into the military? Or was that always kind of in the back of your mind as you were walking through uh, law school? Yeah, I, I think I wanted to go into the military before I wanted to be a lawyer. And it's because... It's funny how the things you, you and this is kind of my thought with writing these books, it's funny how the things that you experience as a kid can color your impressions for the rest of your life. So I mm. first saw the Tom Cruise, Jack Nicholson movie, A Few Good Men, when I was probably in eighth grade, maybe freshman year of high school. And I thought, wow, this is a wonderful movie. How cool would it be to be a Navy JAG and, and trying cases in, in a military court and interviewing witnesses in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. This is exciting. This is very <laughs> dramatic. And watched the movie several times. And in college, I just thought, you know, that's what I want to do. I want to become a specifically a Navy JAG. And so 
I went to law school and started applying as soon as I could to try to become a Navy JAG. And uh, I'm glad I got in when I did because it's become a lot harder. I, d- I doubt they'd take me now uh, if I was just applying in the first place. But I was uh, lucky enough to be accepted into the program when I was in law school. And then after law school, uh, I shipped off and did my Navy training and five years of active duty. And then I've been in the reserves now for about 15 years. Yeah. So, so being a convert to Catholicism, like how has that informed all the different dimensions of your life? I mean, as a husband, as a father, as uh, a professional and someone in the military, like how, how has being Catholic kind of shaped your development and growth as a man? I think something I really like about it is that there are Catholic churches anywhere you go. You know, if you go on vacation, you can go to mass because there's a Catholic church. If you're overseas for some reason, you can go to a mass for, because there's a Catholic church. If you're on a military installation, you can go to mass because there's a chapel with a, a Catholic chaplain. And in, in my day job, uh, there is a Catholic church just down the street, and I can pop in twice a day if I wanted to. You know, I'll, I'll go to daily mass once or twice a week. I can pop in for confession very easily. And, and just having the access to the sacraments through the physical presence of Catholic churches everywhere uh, has been something I really like about being Catholic. I, I certainly like the uh, sacrament of confession and, and, and walking out knowing that my sins are forgiven and feeling it as well. It's just a sense of peace that comes from that. And um, something else I like about being Catholic is just the inexhaustible well of enriching books that have been written, you know, over the past two millennia, you know, if you read something from St. John Chrysostom or St. Augustine or St. Thomas More, St. John Fisher, uh, you know, all the way up to the present, uh, Walter Chiswick is someone, uh, he's, a, I think he's a servant of God, but I'm not positive. Maybe he's a blessed Walter Chiswick, but he wrote a book called He Leadeth Me. And gosh, I, I can't think of uh, a better book than He Leadeth Me or With God in Russia for a man just about, you know, taking your faith seriously and uh, embracing the difficult parts of being a Catholic uh, in this culture, in this day of age, this day and age. You know, you, you read about Walter Chiswick and these under these other underfed Catholic prisoners in the gulag who in these sub zero temperatures would skip lunch. You know, they were underfed to begin with, but they would skip lunch to go sneak off into the woods to celebrate mass in secret. You know, that's taking your faith seriously. And it, it makes me feel ashamed, you know, of my own lukewarmness in so many ways when I when I read about someone like uh, Walter Chiswick, Father Chiswick and his faith, or Father Vincent Cappadano, who mm-hmm. was a Navy chaplain who died on the battlefield in Vietnam, Lieutenant Cappadano. He was ministering to a Marine who had been shot. And then I'm not sure if the Marine had been shot or if he was injured, but he was ministering to a Marine. And while doing so, Father Cappadano caught 17 M16 bullets in the back and it killed him. Uh, there's so many inspiring stories like Emil Capon, the uh, the Kansas farm boy who became a Catholic hero in the Korean War. And just the super abundance of inspiring stories about saints or soon to be saints or people who should be saints um, that are available to us as Catholics and can just give us examples to aspire to. Um, I think that's been something that has been 
a huge blessing to me and my own faith and my own uh, journey as a Catholic man. Well, Brandon, I'm going to jump right in and I want to talk to you about fatherhood because uh, you've got uh, three uh, daughters and two sons. You've definitely uh, had to learn a lot. Not only did you have this uh, experience of storytelling and how it can help your boys, but um, what are some of the the pearls of wisdom and things like that that you've been utilizing to help your your young boys become men? Here at the Catholic Gentleman, we're really big on these rites of passages and things like that to help guide men. You've experienced a rite of passage uh, both in marriage and in and uh, in Navy, no doubt, and uh, things of that nature. So I'd love for you to spend just a moment and and share with us, you know, uh, some of the some of your thoughts on fatherhood and what we can be doing to help raise better men um, that are more um, capable of handling the the evils and uh, attacks of the world. I remember reading one time that whether a kid keeps his or her faith as an adult has a whole lot to do on how seriously or unseriously they perceived their father's faith growing up. Not necessarily their mother, but their father's faith growing up. And, and so I have tried to be uh, you know, to the best of my ability, a spiritual uh, leader as a father in my family, trying to initiate Bible stories or saint stories or prayers with my family. Uh, we, of course, always go to Mass on Sunday, which is a, a given. But as far as rites of passage go, there's something that I certainly didn't come up with, but I've been the beneficiary of. My son goes to an all-boys Catholic school called St. John Bosco, here in the Oklahoma City area. And they have, uh, I think they started it, but they're at the very least very involved in this pilgrimage called the Three Hearts Pilgrimage that uh, goes from, oh, about 36 miles away from Clear Creek Abbey. And you hike on foot 36 miles to Clear Creek Abbey. The pilgrimage ends at the Abbey. And I wasn't able to do it last year because I had military duty. But the year before, I did it for the first time with my son. And I felt like that was just a wonderful opportunity to do something physically difficult with him. Uh, You know, my legs were killing me after the first 25-mile hump on that first day. And I I thought at the end of that first day of walking 25 miles, I think it was, that I'm not sure if I could have gone another mile if I wanted to. Started getting Mm -hmm. blisters at the end of the day. And, uh, you know, he kept up the whole time and he was, I believe, nine or 10 years old. I thought that was pretty impressive for a nine or 10 year old to be able to keep up and not complain. But uh, then you spend the night camped out in the tent and the next morning you finish up and do another 16 miles and you end up at the at the pilgrimage. And it's almost like uh, an arduous journey and you, you have heaven in your sights at the end of the journey when you see the big Abbey Church up there. And I feel like that's a really neat rite of passage for a kid, especially a Catholic kid, to do something physically hard and then have that reward at the end. You know, they had, they had barbecue waiting for us and drinks and there was a mass. And uh, then you hop on a bus and go back to your car and, and drive home. And uh, looking forward to doing that again in October. And um, my son is too. And it's just a, it's grown every year. And it's a really neat opportunity for a father and a son to bond together, doing something difficult and offering up that difficulty uh, to Christ and his church and uh, you know, for reparations for sin and, and that type of thing. I think that's excellent. And I completely agree with you. I think us men need to be looking for those opportunities uh, to do things like that with our sons. So that's exciting. I hadn't heard of that. Yeah. And something else I like to do with my boys is just um, 
last week, I guess they were out for spring break. And so I took them up to my folks place. As Sam mentioned, they've got 160 acres up near Skyatook Lake in northeastern Oklahoma. And they have a house there. And um, that's a well, great opportunity. It's a boy's paradise, really. You know, my parents have a bunch of deer stands so we can deer hunt in the fall. And there is a stream to catch bass in. There are ponds to catch catfish and perch in. Uh, there's all kinds of targets. If you want to do archery, if you want to shoot AR 15s, if you want to shoot pistols, if you want to shoot revolvers, if you want to go squirrel hunting with a 22, you can do that. You can ride four wheelers all around. And something else that's important too, is it's not just fun, but you can do some work too. So my mm-hmm. son and I, my older son, Thomas, he and I spent about six hours last week, uh, cutting limbs with loppers to clear the trail so you can drive around and not get your car scratched up. And uh, he was helping my dad fix a four-wheeler, and uh, both my boys got to ride the tractor. So getting my kids outside uh, in the fresh air and physically doing something, uh, whether it's something fun or something helpful or both, um, has been a blessing that my parents have that place that that we can go up and enjoy. And I think it's something that uh, enriches their experience of childhood as a boy to be doing stuff that all boys love do love doing if given that opportunity. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really wonderful to have those experiences with your sons. And uh, speaking of your sons, I'm uh, to switch gears a little bit. I'm curious, like the son that you originally started telling stories to, like, what does he think of the current progression of the Prince Martin epic? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's always a good barometer for me is what he thinks, because he doesn't mince words. And if he doesn't like it, then eh, whatever. But he, he just finished my, my newest book. Uh, Jason and I had a book come out, number seven in the series. And he was reading it. And he's like, eh, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. And then by the end, he goes, oh, dad, it's so good. And, um, so that was, a that was a, about as good of an endorsement as I could hope for is, is having a 12 year old boy saying, dad, it's so good. And, and him wanting to keep reading and, and, you know, skip doing something fun to push through the book and finish it. Uh, that's pretty encouraging to me. And I've had, gosh, it's been really wonderful having just random kids from Australia send me an email saying they like my books or some kid from overseas you know, it's hard to imagine that i would have someone overseas wanting to read books that uh, came out of my head but um it's really rewarding to get feedback from boys who who love the books or hearing from their parents about how much they like the books something else that's been rewarding has been having parents of kids who have dyslexia or autism uh for some reason i have no idea why uh my books resonate with those kids maybe mm-hmm. because they rhyme that's just me speculating but I've had numerous people who have kids with dyslexia or autism write back and say, my boy does not like reading any books, but for some reason he likes reading your book. Uh, and that's been uh, pretty cool to get feedback like that. Yeah, I completely yeah. agree. <clears throat> that's exciting. You mentioned something uh, about imagination. You talked about, uh, you know, sparking imagination. Um what do you feel has happened to kind of our modern youth? Uh, do you feel like the imagination has been uh, dwindled, that individuals are, you know, constantly, and we all know we're constantly uh, being attacked by noise and stuff like that. But I'd love for you to speak just a little bit about imagination and how you're hoping to spark imagination. You mentioned something like that, um, you know, in the beginning. Yeah, gosh, I think the ubiquity of screens has a stultifying effect on a kid's imagination. 
you know, if you're outsourcing your thinking to screens, if you're outsourcing your entertainment to, you know, the seventh iteration of some uh, movie, you know, there's, I don't think there's a whole lot of creativity in Hollywood, or at least there's not a market for it because you keep seeing these old, old franchises being resurrected or, you know, ver- you know, number seven, the seventh installment of some, of some movie, like come up with something new. Yeah. And I, I think that, um, kids' reliance on screens to entertain themselves so much can really have an adverse effect on imagination. And, you know, we're not immune to it in my house, but I, I do try to get my kids outside doing stuff, either helping with a project or, or doing something fun outside. Or I don't know how many times I've told my kids, we're going on a hike, whether you like it or not, we're going on a hike and they'll complain and gripe about it and, and not want to go on the hike. But inevitably when we're taking the hike and we're on the hike they're having fun you know when they're throwing rocks in the stream and skipping stones uh, or wading in the in the creek uh at that point they're having fun and then when i say it's time to go sometimes they're complaining about not wanting to go home yet so just forcing them to get outside i think is the biggest battle and then once they're outside and having fun you know then the creativity kicks in and they start making up games and and imagining you know forts and fights and battles and, and doing stuff like that i don't know how many hours i spent as a kid you know getting decked out in army gear with toy toy machine guns and toy pistols and uh having battles with friends or you know i i lived in venezuela as a young boy and if there was ever a boy's paradise, it was living in Venezuela in the wow. 1980s. You know, I could mm. go out in the backyard. You know, my, my dad gave me a BB gun when I was six years old. You'd probably go to jail if he did that today. But my parents gave me a BB gun and uh, pocket knives and I could climb mango trees. My dad built me a tree house and there was big iguanas in the trees. And I could go out hiking, traipsing through the forest as much as I wanted to as a kid. And, you know, there were lagoons where the the locals would be catching caiman, I can't remember if they're yeah, caiman crocodiles, alligators, caiman alligators, actually, wow. catching them with spools of line and hauling them in and hacking them to death with a machete. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> just, just some vivid memories I have of a kid of growing up in this really exotic place that Venezuela was in the 1980s and being able to drive an hour and you'd be at the Caribbean and snorkeling in crystal clear water and, uh, gosh, I feel like I had such a fortunate experience as a young boy getting to live in a place like that, that uh, I've tried to, you know, in my own limited way, replicate that, or at least approximate some of those experiences with my own kids. Yeah, that's great. I admire that intentionality, like, you know, and and, and so you just leave kids to themselves to, uh, in, in this modern world, they're probably going to just atrophy. Whereas in the past, like, if you left them to themselves, they'd probably go on adventures and do all kinds of crazy things. But like, now you got to kind of give them a nudge. You got to give them a yeah. push and get them out the door. Um, yeah. So that's something we can all learn from. I think it's just being intentional about it. Uh, like you're saying. So I guess what's next for you? Uh, more Prince Martin books. Are you going to explore other uh, forms of authorship? Uh, where, where do you plan to go from here? You know, I was actually brainstorming about that this morning because each of my Prince Martin books so far, and there are seven of them, uh, are designed intentionally to grow with the kid. The first book is, you know, for a six-year-old, probably having it read to him by his mother or father. You know, the, the second book is maybe for a seven-year-old. Third book, maybe for an eight-year-old. And this most recent book has kind of pushed the edge of how far I want to go with complexity and length. 
And so it, it's for ages uh, 10 and up, this most recent book I've got. And writing a book that's 244 pages in rhyme and, and trying to have the rhyme not be uh, unpalatable rhyme takes a lot of time. And I'd like to kind of go back and maybe do a spinoff series that's a prequel to the first Prince Martin book that is really a, a picture book series about Prince Martin, you know, explaining the part, take, taking someone on a tour of his castle. Um, and, and that's something I have in mind I've been talking to Jason about is maybe a prequel to Prince Martin that's for a five-year-old boy to read and he can, you know, see all the weapons in the armory of the castle and have encounters with knights who protect the castle. And, and understanding the different parts of the castle and um, maybe having some cameos from characters who, who we see in the, the Prince Martin epic proper in those seven books, having, having cameos in the, in the prequel. So that's something I'm toying with. I'm not sure if I want to do something more complicated and more complex than the most recent book that we pushed out. Yeah, wow. 244 pages of rhyme is is seriously impressive, I have to say. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I agree, Brandon. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's it's kind of hard to turn off the rhyme scheme in your head when you when you've been polishing that that rhyme scheme is you don't you want to you don't want to start talking in it. <laughs> yeah, rhyming to your coworkers and uh, Yeah. Deliberately. Yeah. Wow. Well, Brandon, your life has been an adventure and, and I just real feel blessed for you to join us and to share all that with us. Where can men go to uh, learn more about you, learn more about um, your series and, and yeah, um, you know, the future? Yeah, princemartin.com. So www.princemartin.com uh, is the best place to look. It's got all the books for sale, information about the books, information about uh, my friend Jason, the illustrator and me and kind of the origins of the series and um, you know, the books are also available on Amazon or whatever, but, uh, princemartin.com has got them all accessible in one place. You can also download the first book for free, at least the grayscale black and white version of it. We have both color versions of our books and then a, a less expensive black and white version of each book. And you can download the first book for free and see if it's to your taste. And, um, so yeah, well, I appreciate you guys having me on the show. This has been fun. I've never been on a podcast before, so thank you for inviting me. And, uh, yeah, when, when you contacted me earlier this week, I never would have imagined I'd be on a podcast this week. So it's been fun. Well, you're most it. welcome. Yeah. What a blessing to us, Brandon. So thanks so much for all the work that you're doing and for joining us today. Yeah. Well, thank you guys. And good all luck right. to you. Yeah. Thanks so much. All As right. we end each of our episodes. Be a man, be a saint. <laughs>